welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and today we're on the Airwaves with Nav Air Commander Vice Admiral Dean Peters with a look back over the past year and to discuss Nav Air's priorities in the year ahead. Sir, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, Michael. It's great to be here. So you released your commander's intent a little over a year ago. And in it, your top two priorities were improving material readiness and increasing speed of capability delivery. How would you assess our progress to date? In looking back at the commander's intent that was released last year, we set some priorities. They were readiness and speed. Pretty simple. We have to ask ourselves, did we get the priorities correct? Absolutely, we got the priorities correct. We know this because of the impact to the fleet. We're also ahead of what's expected from our Department of the Navy and Department of Defense leadership. The Secretary of Defense released an 80% mission capable challenge for strike fighter aircraft. We were already on a path to achieve that and we achieved it. In assessing the commander's intent, those things that make up readiness and speed, things like our fleet readiness centers, how quickly we're able to turn around aircraft, we absolutely were able to achieve major improvements in our PMI lines and our component repair lines. Now we're expanding that to our intermediate level maintenance. From a speed standpoint, we've got pockets of excellence and we're starting to build on that. It's becoming more routine. From a competitive contracting standpoint, we're doing much better. And I'll mention one thing that's associated with kind of a human relations aspect and uh, you know how, how our workforce you know is involved. We were able to stand up a program management position for the joint simulation environment. This was a request from Secretary Gertz. He said, hey, I need a program manager for JSE down at Pax River. Can you stand one up? And we were able to do that. So that's really interesting. How were you able to do that and how was it different than years past. So in the past, in standing up a new PM position or any new position within the command, we would normally go out with an announcement. We would get some interest, you know, from throughout the workforce, or we would pull people for, that were already supporting programs. Through the mission aligned organization, we were able to have a better view of what resources were available to us. And we knew that we had within headquarters the right person to be able to do this function without impacting any other direct program. So we've made that connection and, it's, and that's the way we want to go forward in the future is just a, a better alignment of our mission resources, including our people, especially our people. That's true, getting the right people with the right work. Yeah. So what would you say were some of the biggest challenges we faced in 2019? And how are we addressing those challenges? Well, let's talk about challenges from two aspects. The first is a persistent challenge, and that's the, the challenge that we have with the reliability of our equipment. So we are still struggling with that. Even as we've improved our sparing capability, we've improved our repair capability, and the speed at which we do those, our equipment is still breaking too often. One of the ways that we're getting after that is through our reliability control board. 
and, and that systematically attacks reliability issues and we're able to you know, track the progress against the reliability of the component itself, keep it on the aircraft longer. A unique challenge that we had was associated with the earthquake at China Lake. So as everyone knows, China Lake is you know, incredibly important, not just to the Navy and the Marine Corps, but also to the DOD in general. And we took a significant impact to our capability, and it was an uh, impact to our, our folks that were out there also. So that was a unique challenge for last year. What would you say were our biggest accomplishments, and how will these wins impact the fleet today and in the future? Well, the, the biggest win is 341. So that was set by the air boss. He said, this is the number that we're shooting for, for Super Hornets. Also 93 for Growlers was captured in there also, but 341 is the number that everybody was focused on. It was a huge accomplishment to be able to achieve 341. And in fact, we actually made it to 379 at the end of September. So this is after years in the Super Hornet community of only achieving about 250 to 260 mission-capable aircraft to add over 100 additional mission-capable aircraft to the fleet was an incredible achievement. From a speed standpoint, we continue to see pockets of excellence in terms of speed, both on the contracting process and on our ability to deliver capability. One of the biggest things that we did from a speed standpoint was we were able to prototype a new SM6 rocket motor in seven months, which is just unprecedented. That work was done through our engineering teams, the Warfare Center out at China Lake and Point Magoo, partnership with PEO IWS. So that was a tremendous win for us. We've also had some additive manufacturing successes. That's an area that we've been building up and building up. We now have 200 parts that we can manufacture. We've delivered 6,000 of those parts out to the fleet. We're making great progress on metal additive manufacturing. We were able to provide a part to the Super Hornet fleet when the supply lead time on it was 500 days. We were able to deliver it in a week through additive manufacturing. Another example of some rapid response success stories is the Dragonfly antenna. That was an immediate operational need and there just wasn't the availability of these components in the supply system, so we reverse engineered that antenna. We used our organic capability to be able to produce it in months, not years, and it's already forward deployed. Another example is our, the gunner seat in the H-60 aircraft. That seat has been problematic for years. The partnership with the fleet produced a seat that was usable. We were able to use organic capability to design and produce and deliver those seats and it's out there flying in the fleet today thanks to the hard work of our workforce. Certainly lots to be proud of. What are the key factors that will enable our continued success in the new year? So the factors that would enable our success continue to be the ability to delegate the approval process at the lowest possible level but not just that, but to elevate issues just as quickly as possible. And I'm just like everybody else. I want to solve things at my level. I don't want to have to go to the CNO for help or to Secretary Gertz for help. But if there's something that is holding us back, then I have an obligation to get that up there. So it's not just about delegating the approval process down. It's the ability to you know, really elevate barriers quickly. That's really 
probably the most important key factor in, in what we need to do. What are your priorities and expectations for 2020? So the priorities for 2020 remain the same, speed and readiness. But let me put some specificity towards that. The first thing I would say is we need to continue the restructuring of the organization towards mission alignment. We've done a good job at putting the resources in the right place. Now we need to develop the concept of operations about how the whole organization is going to work together. The other thing that I'll mention is really it's part of where we've seen some improvements, but it's it's where we need to focus more effort, and that is on our quality. So we, we have a campaign to reduce and eliminate quality escapes in both our repairs and in the products that we deliver. And so going forward in 2020, we really want to double down on our efforts associated with quality. Where do you see the greatest potential for increasing responsiveness to program and fleet needs? So the the greatest opportunities in 2020 that will help us to meet fleet needs, I think, are all associated with partnerships. A partnership with industry to use our model-based acquisition techniques that we're developing, that's going to help us go faster. We've got some challenges to overcome there associated with data rights, but we're working on all those. And industry is interested in this also. Another big partnership is associated with our supply chain providers, NAFSUP and DLA. We are improving our ability to forecast the demand. That's critical to be able to provide to the fleet the, the parts that they need when they need them. So that partnership is really key. So that's what I would say is our biggest opportunities in 2020 is really associated with those partnerships. So looking back on the past year, what was your proudest moment as NAVAIR Commander and why? So the proudest moments for the past year, those are, those are pretty easy, I think. The first is uh, really the resiliency that was demonstrated by the folks out of China Lake after the earthquake. I went to see them right after the earthquake. They still didn't have power. It was the middle of the summer. Uh, we went out to one of the propulsion labs and I expected that, you know, uh, there wouldn't be much activity out there, but the whole team was out there getting ready to continue some of the development efforts that we have with rocket motors. No power, no air conditioning, none of the comforts that we normally feel like we need to do our job, but they were all out there and the morale was high and they were preparing themselves for when the power came back on to be really to get these projects done. So that was tremendously encouraging and a very proud moment for me. The other one was the selection of LS-1 Cindy Johnson as the Navy's Shore Sailor of the Year. She's now LS Chief Cindy Johnson out at FRC Southwest, but that just really goes to show you the value that's ascribed to our fleet readiness centers within the fleet, and that was a truly proud moment. As we move into 2020, what is your message to the workforce? My message to the workforce for 2020 would be, we've seen some pretty good improvements in our organization, but we're not stopping. This is all about the fleet. It's all about sailors and Marines. And we can't just say, hey, we've achieved the goal, we can ease off now. Uh, the world is such a dynamic place. Technology, the threat, the environment, all of these things are constantly changing. We've got to continue to improve. We're moving past 
just mission capable. We're working on lethality and survivability. All of these things are associated with our mission. Improving and refining the mission-aligned organization is a big part of that. That's the next step. Change is hard. Thank you so much for your patience. All of our best ideas have come from the workforce, so keep those ideas and feedback coming. This is truly all about the fleet and our workforce, no matter where you work, whether you're in the FRCs, whether you're in headquarters, whether you're in the warfare centers, you're part of one NAVAIR team that's developing, delivering, and sustaining capability for the fleet. So thank you for what you do every day. Let's keep doing it. And sir, thank you for joining us. Lots to celebrate from the past year and lots to look forward to in the future. That's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.